I'm a little nervous because whenever we get a chance to talk to like a tour winner, golf commentator, all around um, rack on tour, on vivant. It always elevates the old swing thoughts, you know, vibe. Uh, we'll, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, I won't tell you who it is just yet. I'll tell you who I am. I'm golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Tim O'Connor, uh, performance coach, all around uh, sweet person. You know, you can't find a nicer person. Uh, go ahead, go ahead, try. You can't find somebody nicer than Tim. Five index balloon maker. Wow. Uh, this program is brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. I was corresponding with our people there at TaylorMade because I was like, do you guys want us to say anything in particular? But I can tell you what. Uh, everyone is talking about the new TaylorMade Stealth Driver. You should be, too. Carbon wood technology. And as I mentioned last week, once you hit it, you'll get some carbon wood. <laughs> I'm just going to keep making that joke all year. Yes, it's that kind of podcast. <laughs> That's right. Man, I hit this. I got so much carbon wood. Uh, but, of course, it's the number one driver in golf for a reason. Uh, we're both using uh, 790s. A lot of people are... I, I've heard from people that the uh, the new irons are also uh, making such an impact. And, of course, look how good you look wearing Jonathan Wong apparel. Uh, what brand name is that? Who? What's He reps so many lines. This is... A, a fairway and green piece. Very nice. I believe the color is blue. <laughs> yeah, I'm colorblind. I have no idea. You look great, man. It's a nice, nice little, um, I think it's called a pullover. I'm not sure. My wife would know what to call it. I don't. Listen, it doesn't make you, you know, any less masculine if you know what you're, if what you're wearing is called. Well, I don't know what this is. I don't know fashion. I'm so, I'm so macho. All right, so uh, it's a pullover. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. There's no, there's no pretense here. All right, uh, I'm just messing with you, Tim O'Connor. Uh, we'll tell you later in the show. Tim and Nate uh, are putting on uh, something called Quiet. Mind Golf. We've spoken about it. I want you to sign up in the next couple of days and we'll tell you how you can do that. Also, me and Fitzsimmons are uh, taking our ridiculous act on the road for the very first time. And we'll tell you how you can uh, experience a golf spiritual leader and Dr. Charles Fitz in person. In the meantime, our uh, guest today is familiar to those of us that follow the game of golf. Uh, first as a, a high, high level player. He uh, was a, a regular on the PGA Tour for years, was the winner of the 2001 Byron Nelson. I mean, this guy won a golf tournament in the, in the era when Tiger Woods was, uh, when he wasn't smiling at everyone and shaking hands. He didn't look, he didn't smile at anyone for about 15 years. No. Um, and this gentleman is also, of course, you've seen him on the Golf Channel. Most recently, like myself, a big fan of his work on PGA Tour Live on Sirius XM. Uh, someone I've known since uh, the mid-90s when he used to come and watch me uh, tape Ed's Night Party, which was always weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good times. Uh, please say hi to Robert Dameron. Hi. 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 Tim, Tim, that's a quarter zip, I would call it. Isn't oh. that what you call that? The quarter, it's a pullover, but anything, any sweater would technically be a pullover because yes. you pull it over your head. But that is the quarter zip style pullover, uh, being the Thank fashionista you. that I am. I'm glad to... Yeah. You know, well, I can tell uh, by what you tell by the T-shirt you're wearing. I was going to say, yes, we can you. tell by by how much you dressed up for this show. 
Shorts Brewery from uh, Northern Michigan. It's one nice. of my favorites. Uh, no, no sponsorship whatsoever. But if they wanted to send me a case or two, that'd be just fine. Why not? Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, you were you were saying just before we started recording that you were signing up for the shootout, which is something that's been going on at Bay Hill. Mr. Palmer yeah. started it years ago, and. Maybe just and I I was lucky enough to play it with you and our friend yeah. Kevin Baker. Just give people a sense. Like Robert's uh, still at Bay Hill. Yes. And yeah, they're gonna have to spread matches here. I've been here since '79. Got no intention of leaving. And your family still has a house. I think it's just off the 10th fairway. That's where I grew up. And yes, they don't have it anymore. They sold it. It was torn down and rebuilt. But they still live here inside Bay Hill. Okay. Uh, actually, about 80 yards from where I sit uh, right now. So it's still a close-knit family affair here. And the reason I bring it up is it's, it's kind of part of you know Florida lore that all these pros would play every day at noon. And, and I'm sure you played mm-hmm. it as a kid and then graduated to playing in the groups as a professional. But now as a guy sure. that doesn't play very much, you said you've signed up for it. Like, h- How often do you play these days? And what does a former PGA Tour player expect to to shoot whenever you go and play golf oh boy see expectations are just the devil's workshop i can't deal with that when i retired i dropped every expectation i have that because if i expected let's say i expected to shoot i don't know seven and i did it that means i have to go to the range afterwards and try to figure out why i didn't <laughs> so I, I that's not retired i retired i'm done i'm out with that so uh, i play once a week Maybe uh, it's probably been two weeks since I played last time. I never hit balls. Uh, the only odd thing about that right now is that I'm 49, and I get asked the question every day. You're going to play? You're going to play? You're going to play? Um, no. I will play a couple tournaments, but I just don't have it in here anymore to, to try to go be good, to be good enough to, to compete. My goal will be uh, I might even get, like, T-shirts uh, made. Don't finish last. That'll be my goal. Don't finish dead last. Please, for the love of God, be good enough to just beat some barking dog out there. And that, and that would make me happy. But it'd be good to go out and see everybody, you know, hug all the people I haven't seen for a dozen years or more. Uh, but otherwise, yes. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much my whole playing uh, philosophy right do, now. Do you have status? It, like, and we're talking about the uh, Champions well, Tour. Do you have any status that would get you into a tournament or two? Uh, yes. Uh, so the Senior British Open allows a... PGA Tour winner, the first year they are exempt, a spot into the field. So I've already got circled Royal Porth Call in Wales, 2023 Senior British Open. Uh, I'm going to a buddy of mine that used to be a baseball player. Um, is going to caddy. Family's going. And then after I make a disaster at that, we might go to Ireland for a little golf trip. I've never been. Um, so it's going to be a whole big to-do, nice. I think. But, but it's not going to be a, hey, my God, Robert's going to win the uh, Senior British Open. And beat the hundred one year old Bernard Lang. That's not going to happen. <laughs> exactly, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no. who does five hundred push ups a day? Oh, you're not um, kidding. Um, so, heaven forbid, you play golf to have fun. I play golf to be with the people I'm with. Mm-hmm. So, so if I play golf to have fun, that means I could go out and play by myself and enjoy the open air and the nice green grass and hitting a few shots. And that's just not the case. Uh, I go to play with, I play with my dad most of the time who Howard got to know one day when he was here, a great player still. Yeah. Um, I play with some other friends. I think today I'm going to play with Daniel Chopra, who's a tour winner and I'll, uh, he still plays more than I, so I'll have to get a couple shots, but a little action, you know, and then, uh, kill time to go into the car group. 
I want to ask you this because uh, and we're going to get to uh, some of the stuff that's going on. Of course, we're recording this the week of the Masters. Robert's played in it. He's played at yeah. Augusta. But I am curious because a lot of people listening, you know, guys in their 50s and 60s, it's not just former tour players. We all, you know, we all we used to be better because we used to be younger. What's that old thing about the older I get, the longer I used to hit it. But in your actual case, you've been playing Bay Hill since you were a kid and you yes. played it as a tour player. Is it weird? Couple questions about that. Is it weird, odd, or whatever strange when you see the shots you're hitting now and you remember the shots you used to hit or could hit? And and what tees do you guys play? It's funny. So I play one setup, which is kind of the senior tees. That's where when the when the senior tour players still come and play Bay Hill, that's where they they play one setup. And, and it's funny because it's a uh, before the. Arnold Palmer Invitational, like uh, let's say two weeks before uh, the rough had grown huge. So it was car path only for the members as we're out there playing. And I, uh, there's a ball in the middle of the fairway and another ball up about 10 yards further. And I thought the 10 yards further ball was mine. So I carried a couple clubs out there. Sure enough, the, the ball that was 10 yards back was mine. And all of a sudden I don't have enough club. So I'm like, I've got a seven iron in my hand. It's 172 to the hole, something <laughs> like that. And I go, will you just stack up and do it? You could have done this. This was this was not an issue back in the day. Yeah, I, I could have I could have uh, you know slammed a seven iron and, and flown at one seventy. So I I leaned back and I absolutely tagged it. I mean, it was just the most beautiful shot I could possibly hit with a seven iron. Everything I had uh, going right at it and it hit on the dead front of the green. I walked it <laughs> off. It flew one fifty eight. <laughs> so it, I mean, it hurt my soul. It hurt my soul. That's why. That's why I don't I don't get on track, man, because I don't want to see the horrible numbers for the same reason I don't get on the scale. I, I'm better off just not knowing the horrible truth. That's right. You know, uh, instead, just kind of remembering what I used to be. But it's it's humbling. I tell myself, well, if I practice more, maybe a couple times in the gym, I could get most of it back. But let's face it, probably good. I mean, there's a book in there somewhere. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Damon's oh, book. Why try? Depressing. Yeah. Just it's yeah, the Damon yeah. story. Stop trying. Right. But uh, the uh, uh, memoir of a glass half empty. Yeah. But I, I mean, we joke around. And one of the great things about, you know, you've always been the reason you're good on TV and radio and commentating and doing PGA Tour Live is because you're a sort of rare athlete and somebody that has high level skill, but also the ability at a, at a pretty high level humor wise to comment on yourself and the game. So I, I wanted to start off this part by asking you again, let's talk about you won a tournament in 2001. Mm-hmm. And I think we've asked you this before, but remind our audience, did that get you into the masters? It did it that year it actually, uh, because they changed the rule did or did not. They, it, I did not. Ooh. Did not play uh, the Masters. They changed the rule that year and changed it back like two years later. They wanted to go like strictly top 50 in the world and top 30 from the previous year's money okay. list, something oh, like that. that. Yeah. And they changed back. And, it, it, you know, people, every time I say it, they go, oh, that sucks. That's terrible. Should, I'm not sending the trophy back because I didn't get the Masters. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it doesn't hurt my feelings whatsoever. It's okay. Um, I, I feel like I had such a rich career and that – why would I dwell on something that, you know, all right, it's passed me by one little blip. So what I more, more kick myself for not playing the, I was exempt for the 2000 British open at St. Andrews and didn't go. I chose not to go. Uh, I'd finished third at the players that got me in and there's hardly a day that goes by. I'm like, I'm not you dummy. What yeah. is wrong with you? 
Um, So had you ever, through either your dad or people you know, had you ever played Augusta? Yes, yes. Uh, I had a friend uh, named Dick Ferris who was a member there. He just passed. He was the CEO, uh, president of the Pebble Beach Company, all this stuff. Sure. So um, uh, he was a member there. I went up with him a couple times. Unbelievable experience. Nothing like it. There is, you know, everybody says that. The only thing I'll say that's different than what most other people say, because it's hard to describe, is there's an uncomfortable feeling there. Meaning, uh, do I have, like, if my flies down, they're going to kick me out of the club. (laughs) If I'm standing, am I supposed to be standing on the path or off the path here? Uh, Can I stand under the shade tree and accept the shade it's giving me? Or are they going to, because you just feel like you're always doing something wrong. Everybody's staring at you. And that's uh, kind of an uncomfortable feeling there. So, uh, but otherwise, all the positives far, far outweigh the negative. (laughs) That's I was thinking like, geez, um, have you worked through this with your therapist yet, Robert? <laughs> oh, that's that's like number 10,000 on the list of things. That's that right. Yeah, you, through. He's, got, he's got people on, on staff 24-7. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember, um, so I was very fortunate. I got to cover uh, seven masters as a journalist. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time I got there, I was just just like you, man, walking on eggshells, yeah. always looking around, am I doing the right thing? And, and if I was walking too fast, I thought, oh, am I going to be thrown down and my hands tackled. Shackled, shackled behind me, you know? But um, yeah. that, you know, what I found is so interesting about that, about Augusta, it was kind of like... I'm sure a lot of our listeners have gone to Myrtle Beach and you, you hang a right off 17 past Jiggle Strip Joint and you're in this lovely yes. green enclave. Washington Road and Augusta is like that. It's like Americana Boulevard, fast yeah. food, all this stuff. And then you just it's like into Oz and it's just like completely different. And that's what always struck me about that and it's almost like a commentary on the United States for gosh sakes in terms of the haves <laughs> and the have nots and I went from ooh to oh my god here's where the beautiful people live yeah have you have you been there Howard I have um I've okay. had that, I had that ex- experience but I didn't know that I didn't realize it outside of the gates of uh Magnolia yeah. Lane or like anywhere KFC and Taco Bell exactly yeah but, but you when you, you said you felt uncomfortable and that was that was very funny about not really knowing what how to act but what about playing the golf course um, at the time you got to play there was that closer to your tour career no no oh, okay. it was after the tour career was done um, I didn't play very well it was pretty cold the first time I went and, and um. It didn't matter so much. I mean, we had, a, you know, a, some gambling going on a little bit. But overall, it, it was just an experience. Yeah. And and you can see, like you guys, have, like you said, have been there. And, and you can see why Fuzzy Zeller was the last in 1979 to win their first time there. Because it is the ultimate uh, course knowledge course. There are bounces and humps and places you don't want to miss it. Uh, every course has that. But this is just, you know, times 10. So it's one of those, like you said, experience or, well, like you said, like I said, mm-hmm. experience is a big factor there at that golf course. One of the things, Robert, that struck me when I was uh, first at Augusta was that the greens, they're kind of like those calendars of like the most impossible golf holes ever. <laughs> you yeah. know? You've got yes. a green on a cliff. But it's so maybe talked a, a bit about what it's like to hit shots into those greens like 14 and 17 that are kind of like you've got this flat land or rolling and then all of a sudden like this thing that's on a plateau mm-hmm. what's yeah. it like to hit to greens like that 
Well, after watching the Masters for, uh, you know, as every year I've been alive pretty much, you think when you get there, you're going to know, you know, okay, the pin's here. I know where to miss it. And there's a little bit of that, but you can't appreciate it. And then every year when you're watching the Masters, they will say, even with today's high definition, everything, 5K, whatever, uh, well, you can't really see the sloping on TV as much as you can when you're here in person. And okay, fine, I know that. And then when you get there, you go, it's not even close. It's like the camera adds 10 pounds. It's like the camera adds 100 pounds to the, or takes away 100 pounds from these greens. They're so slopey. And, and if it were anywhere else and not in as good a shape, you might even say, wow, this is a little awkward. It's a little goofy. But for some reason, maybe you're just in awe of the tradition. Um, maybe you're in awe of the condition of the golf course and, and where you are, but it absolutely works. And there's ways to get around the course and play it well, but you cannot miss it in the wrong place ever. But I like what Tim asked in terms of like both of us have walked those grounds and me not as much as Tim and, and you, but but it's different than you got nine iron in your hand and you're hitting it into a green. You've got to calculate, okay, the pin's back left, but I can't hit it anywhere near there. Right. And so a good swing which I, I, I love this. A good swing isn't necessarily a good shot. A good shot is a different thing. Uh, yes, a good shot can be a bad swing. Yeah. A good shot can be an accident. A good swing is not really ever an accident. That's just something that you've trained yourself to do all, all this time. I always, I always said I would much prefer a good swing that went in the water than a good shot that I bladed and ran up by the hole. Uh, it's just <laughs> because... The confidence is eroded when you hit a bad shot that gets lucky. <laughs> That's right. Confidence is added if you did, you know, oh, it caught a gust or I had a bad yardage, but man, I flushed it just what I wanted to. So, uh, yeah, I would rather, I'd rather kind of mess up making good swings. But this, you've got to, very much like in Scotland or, or, or England playing Lynx course, you've got to trust the caddy. And if they say aim at that tree and you go and wait, well, wait a second, the, the pin is 40 yards that way. No, you do not want to mess around with that. Just, just trust me. I've been here doing this forever. Yeah. The caddies there are all ultra professional and, you know, very experienced. So uh, that's the kind of thing you have to almost drop your own instincts to just trust somebody else that you've only met a few minutes ago. Yeah, that's classic story of Americans going over to play Carnoustie in St. Andrews. Oh, yeah. going, I, I don't need a caddy. Well, good luck. Enjoy triple digits today, fellas. Yeah, just enjoy exactly. that. Yeah. Timmy, what do you want to ask? Oh, I just wanted. I mean, it's taken us, I think we've been on this show for like 15 minutes. This is the first reference to decade. But um, Mm -hmm. at Augusta, you need luck as well. I mean, I think that uh, Scott Fawcett shows in one of his uh, videos of Tiger pushing it, I think, on 11. And, whoa, he's got a laneway. So, boom, he can go for it. He got lucky. And on 14, I think it was either third or fourth round. On 14, he hits one of those putts that goes... You know, it makes a left turn, and that thing is going. It went like a gopher into a hole for birdie. Right. But if that thing missed, it was off the green. Yeah, but what Tim's referring to is Fawcett. One of the first things he says is winning. Yeah. Re- winning requires luck, but I would say scoring requires luck. And for a great example of that, the kid that won on the weekend, JJ Spawn, had a great yes. had a great tournament, but he pitched in three times. So as good as you are, as good as a player could be, that's just a, that's just golf. That's just your week. That's the vagaries of the game. That's what, you know, that's Fitzsimmons saying you lip in three mm-hmm. times versus lipping out. And it, 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 it's so funny that it requires so much luck, yet the average person, most of the people listening, think that shit should work out for them all the time, when in most of the oh. time it just doesn't. And it has nothing to do with your skill as a golf swinger. 
And the trick to that, uh, I had to talk about it actually on DJ Tour Live. It's amazing. Is and this is getting in a little deeper even than, than the decade strategy is. When you do get that bad break or something weird happens, you have to try to let it go and enjoy the good swings more than you hate the bad shots. Yes, because you attach, you remember what you attach emotion to, and it will stick with you. So if you hate those bad shots more than you love the good shots, over time you're eroding your own mental game mm-hmm. 100%. and vice versa, vice versa. That's why uh, the old story is Nicholas. Hey, remember when you hit it in the water here? No, I don't remember that. <laughs> well, I played with you two years ago. You hit it in the water. Huh? That doesn't sound right. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that was BS, but he still made conscious effort to say, boy, but I made this swing one time that was just incredible and I needed it. So he, I, I think the true greats, I don't know if they try to, because we're all born wired differently than the other. Um, I, I'm, I'm getting more, a believer in like destiny. Um, I know hard work uh, is is important, but I won one time on tour. Tiger Woods won eighty two times. Did he work eighty two times harder than I did? No, that's there's not enough hours in the day. So, uh, yeah, as I get a little older and maybe I don't know, face your own demise, you get a little more uh, a little more philosophical. Uh, a little yeah. More, yeah, a little bit more. I mean, but you still you still work the math in there though. Yeah, oh, very yeah. good. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and you, you bring up an interesting point, of course, is we've done 191 shows now about how the mental side of the game affects not only your enjoyment, but your ability to score. The weird thing, and again, I was the worst I ever met, biggest suck, biggest club thrower. I had no idea how shitty. <laughs> I really didn't. I had no idea. I know. what that. I know you saw it. Um, I'm actually a better golfer now at 62. I've played better the last five years than I ever have in my life, partly because as I got older, I was able to understand that being upset is what it does is it, it doesn't just wreck the day or everyone's vibe, but it it makes you upset. So you don't make a good decision on the next shot. It prevents you from going. Okay. Cause it's cause they were talking about Rom this morning on, on the Mm -hmm. coverage and they were saying, yeah, you know, it's almost like he's not getting upset as he, as much as he used to, but the That's point is, it's not true. But the point about, so being, ahead, but, but the idea is being upset's fine as long as it doesn't affect your next decision, which is what used to hold me back is that I, and a yes. lot of people listening, being pissed off, you're just making a series of bad decisions. That's why most people go triple bogey, double bogey, bogey, and then they calm down. Yes. How, did, how did you deal with that? Um, I was pretty quick to drop my temper. So if you look at Rom, and I just said, that's, that's not true. He's better in a PR sense where he doesn't get, he knows what the camera is and he doesn't get as upset in front of the camera as he used to. Um, but does that mean he's not boiling inside at times on the other side of the camera? Of course, I've seen it out there on the course watching PJ tour live, you know, uh, in, in a really bad mood on the other hand. And I was more the, the tiger version, uh, although not as good tiger would get mad. He slammed clubs. God knows how many fines he paid for dropping f bombs on the on the air because every shot he hit was uh, you know televised. So you know, and he got mad, slammed clubs. But by the time he got to the next shot, not just the next shot, by the time two seconds had passed, it was done. So he it was it was almost therapeutic in a way where he releases it as opposed to some people kind of hold on to it and and like a tea kettle just keep bubbling, bubbling, bubbling until it, it starts to really whistle. Um, but you know, Tiger was the master of pretty much everything uh, at that point. It's it's so interesting is that people have a, this um, 
feeling that certain players are like they're like saints they're like gurus they never get upset and they never have a bad thought that's totally wrong yes that's <laughs> everyone's, a human, everyone's wrong. a human being you never get over it i mean fred shoemaker he thought you know he'll hit one left and he'll go darn like yeah fred, fred shoemaker will get mad and then the question is, how do you then respond to it? That's the key piece. Yeah. <clears throat> but as you said, if you get all mad and everything, that's what your brain remembers. I mean, yeah. that's elementary psychology because your brain is its job is to keep you alive. So you've got something that's really emotional when you get in the same situation. That's what the brain remembers. So I remember it was Carl Morris um, saying that, you know, when you have a bad shot, you know, you get over that. But really celebrate the good ones. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's why I always loved watching Tiger. You could just tell. As soon as he hit it and the shot was on you'd see that club twirl. Oh, yeah. Start that walking his, at it. I was a celebration. Or the Kevin Na walkthrough or whatever you call yeah. that. Yeah. But, but Tiger would watch a good shot till it absolutely came to a dead stop. He never, like, turned back, kicked his divot in as the ball was kind of still trickling towards the hole because he wanted to accept that. I mean, it, and he – he did work with a sports psychologist as a kid, you know, out there. That was part of it. So he, he had a, a rudimentary understanding of those kind of things when he was, you know, probably 10, 12 years old. Um, so he certainly had a leg up, but I still think he had uh, just everything. The stars were aligned the day Tiger Woods was born. Well, and let's talk about it. I had obviously one of the things we're taping this during the uh, Masters week. Mm-hmm. Our brand new season uh, for you people listening. This is the uh, beginning of the Swing Thoughts, you know, on season where we'll be doing a show every week, and uh, we've got a, a couple interesting guests lined up. We'll tell you about those uh, when we're done with Robert. But I want let's talk a little bit about this comeback. We, I mean, everyone listening knows the accident, and then seventeen months yeah. without playing tournament golf. And then yesterday in his press conference, he's inevitably asked once he announces he's going to play, hey, Tiger, you know, your entire career, you've said you wouldn't go to a golf tournament unless you thought you could win. Can you win the Masters? He says, yes, I can. Yes. As a guy that's played out there for a long time and played against Tiger Woods, take a little yeah. time. Walk us through your thoughts and maybe finish with can he win? Yes, he can win. Um, I have been a doubter and naysayer in the past. There was a big... Um, his previous comeback. Well, I mean, how many comebacks has he had? But the the one before he won the tour championship in 18, 17, something like that, where I thought he's never going to win again. Forget it. Uh, it's, it was great that we got to see him win. We did, but it's just too much to ask. He was overcoming so much bad stuff, including, you know, uh, pain pill problems, yips with chipping, uh, his swing had left him. He couldn't drive it on the planet. And I'm like, you know, it was great that we saw what we saw. But much like a David Duvall, there's a long time when you go, he'll be back, he'll be fine. And then eventually you go, well, no, he's not fine. That's it. He, he's not going to come back. And I was kind of that place with Tiger. And I said, it's just too much to happen. And I actually remember talking about it to Arnold Palmer in the locker room. And he looked at me and goes, do not ever count this kid out. I go, Mr. Palmer, I love you, but sorry. And he was dead right. And I ate crow for sure. Um, and, and was glad to do it because he's good for the game. But, you know, Tiger Woods is is uh, elevates our our sport, you know, exponentially. So I, I was glad to do it. But I, I kind of have learned my lesson in the last couple times. And and when I doubt him, because I doubted he would play the Masters. I go, listen, he's not going to play the Masters. This is silly. And it's not because he can't hit a golf shot. This is the hardest walk in golf, one of them. And, and that's the problem with his legs. He'll, he'll play St. Andrews. Because St. Andrews is on the other side, the easiest walking golf. It's very short, moundy, but flat. 
uh, you know, not a lot, a lot of ups and downs. So that's where we'll see him again. And I was wrong. And, and, and when a player's wired like this and for all the big tournaments he's won, this would, so, and the last, the 2019 Masters, what a, what a win. This would mean more to him than that. And when it means that much to Tiger Woods, anything's possible. He's hmm. just, he, he's almost super you. Robert, what does it say about his character? I mean, I think one of the things that we've heard since Tiger said he's in is that he's not going around to be a ceremonial golfer to, to no. wave to the crowd and shoot, shoot 80. But I, I know that's a big open question, but how does what you're talking about speak to Tiger Woods' character? Again, it's it's something that it's hard to put a finger on when you're just a, a normal human being with with flaws. And, and he's got plenty of flaws, but not on the golf course uh, and, and not when it comes to his desire and competitive spirit. So um, it, it's hard to put an actual finger on, like, what is it about Tiger that makes Tiger Tiger? Is it that he hits better golf shots? Yes. Is it that he thinks better? Yes. Is it that he makes more putts? Yes. Is it that he can... Uh, uh, you know, intimidate other players at times. Yes, it's just a perfect storm uh, of things going on that that make him Tiger Woods, and his self belief is, I think, what's incredible. And, and it, it's so clear. Like you know, you've got Nicholas and Tiger, and I don't care if you think one's better than the other or whatever. They're so clearly the best two players that ever lived. That what is it about them? Why those two guys? And that's where I go back to my like destiny. I think some people are just born and wired differently yeah. than others, and and it just worked out that way. Um, you know, let's stay with Tiger for a second. And again, I, I'm a huge Tiger fan. I mean, if I was you know in '97, I would have had you know the Tiger Woods posters. You know, like a young child sure. that I was. Yeah, me too. Um, and I want him to do well. I've been watching. You know, listen, I, and then one of their sporting events, you start watching pre-round coverage Monday at noon, you know. Yes. So obviously it's exciting that he's in it. And of course, it makes the tournament more interesting on Thursday and Friday. And if he was in contention, that would blow people's minds. And I'm not a doubter, but just from a tour perspective, 17 months, no tournament experience. Yeah, he's got great hands. and He's got a, a lifetime of experience of being in that situation. But I, I thought, well, if he's coming here, it's not just to test his leg. He's coming here because he thinks, you know what? My skill level is of a, of a, of a, uh, at a point that I think I could contend. That just blows my mind. Because anyone else who hasn't played a PGA Tour event, forget the father's son, in that yeah. long might take a few tournaments to get, you know, get their calluses back. Well, it's amazing that you brought up the father-son. I kind of jotted down here that I'm PNC, that I had a point to make as you're talking about it. So I did that tournament for SiriusXM, and then uh, I was off. Another crew came in, and Tiger and Charlie Woods had seven holes to go, something like that. And they were making a move, but still, they can't win, but they're making a move. And I went out there, and even though Tiger was in a cart, you know, I'm walking the fairway right behind him, even though uh, uh, he was limping, the switch had flipped and this had gone from fun with my son to I am in the, I smell blood and I'm tiger woods and I'm absolutely coming at him. And, and, um, in the last hole, they were, I think one back of the dailies at that point, And, um, he needed to hit a shot, kind of work it back into the back center pin. And he like a long iron, three, four iron. And he hung it out. I'm saying hung it out three yards right of what he wanted. And he was pissed. 
And this isn't like, sorry, son, like you and I would do with our dads or kids. Uh, it was complete Tiger Woods zoned in trying to beat the hell out of everyone else in that field. And, and Charlie was, even though Charlie helped a lot, he had a couple really close shots coming in. And it wasn't that Tiger played flawlessly, but you could absolutely see that that mentality come out of Tiger Woods where he said, right. I don't care about this uh, uh, exhibition. I want this trophy. And, and he just can't help himself. That's the way he is. So it's great to see. And if, if he doesn't, I, I don't see him blowing up. Again, if he if he were going to go out and shoot 79, I don't think he plays. Why would he? He doesn't yeah. have to. Uh, he's more than happy to be in his Well, it's funny you say that because it's like what Nicholas said in his message after he heard Tiger was going to play. He said, Tiger, uh, just like back in 2019, if you put yourself in a position, you'll remember how to win because he's done it so many times. That's that's it. I mean, all this all this past troubles, the car wreck, whatever. The second he sees his name on the leaderboard, even if he's five, six back, that goes away. Doesn't matter. Uh, um, he's got a, a short memory in that sense, but he does remember how to compete, how to get around golf courses, not just golf courses, Augusta National. I mean, okay. Who's, who's going to play this that knows it better and, and who controls their irons better because it's the ultimate, if you look at the statistics of it, it's the ultimate approach shot golf course, meaning mm-hmm. where you leave it uh, on the golf course, where your mistakes are uh, when you hit those second shots in and, and he's still going to be as good as anyone else. So a, a two-pronged question. One mm-hmm. is, in observing Tiger as a player and and, and now as a as a, a media person, um, what do you see that's different with him in terms of his ability to to focus and just let go of the distractions, whether it be his own mind, the things that he could think about, or what's going on? What about his focus and his ability to focus on targets? Like one of the things that that <clears throat> Tiger's been quoted as saying is that he swings aggressively. To his targets, and he doesn't get sucked into to pins. So, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I thought that mentally he would get really beaten down. This is like the first time, and this is with the scandal with his wife, and 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 you know, getting caught with all these these girls. I thought that mentally would take so much out of him because de- the day before, if he walked into a, a you know a supermarket, everybody goes, "Oh my God, that's Tiger Woods." The next day after the scandal breaks, if he walks into the supermarket, people are giggling. Like, did you see the girl he was sleeping with? And I, and I thought that would take so much out of him. But when he got on the course again, it was just easy uh, to put behind it. It was it's not something that I thought he would do because I thought it was it was your confidence is your confidence, not just golf, just your overall demeanor. You walk with your chest out or you walk with your chest kind of sunk in. And I thought that would take so much out of him and that he would almost be embarrassed to show up on the golf course. That obviously uh, did not happen. It's just, I, I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to say, but he's just a different person. The second part of your question, you're going to have to remind me because I started rambling on the, about well, what, some garbage it's there. It's in the same territory, I thought. Yeah. It's about the focus, his ability to choose oh. a target and hit smartly and play aggressively to that rather than to get, like a lot of players, get sucked into a pin or kind of hope that they pull it towards the – towards the pin for a birdie or something what about what about the masters that he won uh the last one where everybody's dunking it in the water on 12 jack said in the 70s don't go for that right pin go over the middle of the bunker in the front and don't even mess with jack nicholas won there six times surely he knows what he's talking about why would no one listen but no one tended to listen it was unbelievable speed did the same thing when he had a big lead and and let danny willett win so 
Um, you saw where Tiger's, you know, Tiger's playing with Molinari. When Molinari dunked it, I think, again, his demeanor changed. He went exactly where he's supposed to, which is over the middle of that bunker, yeah. and did it. So I'm on the range at Iowa. I used to do, when he was there, so I used to practice with Tiger some, you know, a pretty decent amount. And one day I'm on the range, and, and I've got a shaft in the ground, like shoved in the ground about maybe 10 paces up and a, a, an alignment stick at my feet. And he pulls up behind me in his car. He goes, what, what, the, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I go, my alignment's been off. I, I go, I can't, I, I'm, I'm just trying to almost dial in my alignment. It's like tightening the sights on a rifle. Yeah. I'm trying to, to dial in. So he got out of the car. He took my club, stood in my stance like he's going to hit the ball, uh, looked back at me and goes, handed me my club back. He never hit the ball. He goes, I've never once in my life given a shit where I was aimed. I Excuse go, me. What? I, that's what I said. I go, Excuse, what? How's that possible? Because he's not thinking of himself. It doesn't matter if he's aimed left, right, straight, indifferent. I, if that gets me to that target, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I will find a way to get it to that target. So he just dropped everything that was kind of unimportant to him. Right. And I, th- I think, Tim, to your point, that's it. It's not His mind's not bogged down in, in stupid minutia like mine where I'm going, well – you know, I, I'm not doing this. It doesn't matter if you're comfortable and you see the target. He's enough of an athlete where he has full trust that he can do it. Um, and, and that's where he was. So, yeah, to me, that was like a foreign because I'd worked on my alignment. And my, of course, all uh, of us you know, are forever. Right. Yeah. And, and he just never cared. But, never but, cared one bit. But here's a question that only someone that was a peer of Tiger Woods. And I said, Tiger Woods and you, you were on the tour at the same time. You won a yes. golf tournament. I, I've said this to you before, like. I know you like to kid or, you know, be self-deprecating about your career. But, you know, at the time that I knew you initially, I was always I remember having conversations about the difference between a tour player and a good amateur and all these things we would talk about. But you were a peer of one of the best players that ever played the game. So let me ask you about the peers that are on site at Augusta today. Do the other players like the attention that Tiger's getting, comma, or are some of them, Rom, I don't know, Morikawa, DJ, Brooks for sure, does some yeah. of them secretly, are they like enough of, like, like they're competitors too. Justin Thomas, obviously a different category because he's friends. Yeah. But you know what I'm asking? Like, is there, those guys are the best players on earth for a reason. They've got yeah. egos. What's it like the, being a peer of his then and now? The vast majority love it. It's less attention on them. Uh, I don't need to, uh, you know, I I know that autograph signing at Augusta is not uh, that big a thing. It's not like you get bombarded like at the U.S. Open. But uh, in the press, they're running after Tiger. So it's like, shoot, I don't have to do this. It's almost like you see the line of autographs and it's and it's a mile long after the round. And you're like, man, I, I, I just shot, you know, 75. I don't want to sit and do this. I will do it because. And then Tiger or Phil walks behind, and they all forget you, and it's like, great. I get to just slide out the back door, let them take the hit here, and I get to move along the back door. So are there people that might feel disrespected? You mentioned Brooks. Um, you know, Brooks has been the best major player of the last handful of years. Does he feel disrespected that they don't give him the press and attention that he deserves rightfully? Yes, and he uses that to play better when he when he's on and i still think brooks even though he's been struggling is an unbelievable pick this week i would take brooks in a minute if i were a gambling guy but um most players are more than happy to let tiger uh, get out there and and let's face it they're all are they competitors sure are they tiger fans yeah the players now all grew up loving tiger they sat in front of their uh, tv and diapers 
you know, watching Tiger Woods win the Masters and win tournaments like that. So I, I, there's there's a big part of that, you know, and it, it'll have to be dropped if you're playing with him Sunday back nine late and, and you're competing for the tournament. But, no, I, I think that the vast majority of players love it. Okay. Interesting. Uh, you mentioned Lord Voldemort. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say that. Yes. He, he who will not <laughs> oh. be named. Yeah, exactly. Um, Phil, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's talk uh, about another Phil. Exactly. <laughs> right. What do you? It was interesting. Uh, Howard and I both read yesterday a, a pretty cool piece in Golf Digest, a letter to mm-hmm. Phil. And one of the oh. things that, um, dang, I can't remember the. Uh, yeah, I don't you know, have it in name. front of me either. But nice writer, really yeah, nice good, writer, good article. Um, yeah, he was saying, uh, Phil, um, why don't you just tell us why you're not at Augusta? Um, why don't it come clean? And, and one of the things I just thought instinctually was that. Well, Phil, I don't think you've ever done that your whole career. Yes, I just said that. What do you think about the whole thing about him not being there and this cloud of controversy uh, or whatever? Lack of clarity over why. And by the way, the author of this article is Max Adler, and you can get it at GolfDigest.com has it. Thanks. I don't think – now imagine you didn't know golf and you didn't know Phil Mickelson. You just knew he was ultra-popular. And you just read the facts of the story as a private investigator, Sherlock Holmes or something. Uh, what would it reek of? It would reek of desperation. The, the, it would reek of a guy that's chasing as much money as he can. Does that mean I think Phil's broke? I can't imagine. I can't imagine there's money problems. But that's why I'm having issues putting it all in my head. He goes and says the tour, after they give him uh, like $8 million in the PIP money, he then accuses the tour of obnoxious greed mm-hmm. and and spread kind of false truths. Well, false truths are called lies about mm-hmm. about the tour and the amount of money they put back into the game, which was not the case at all. Um, then, you know, he's he's chasing the Saudi league, which is obviously they're throwing as much money as they can as anybody would at Phil. But then behind the scenes, he also thinking he's off the record or maybe he didn't think he was off the record says they're you know a murderous regime and scary mfers and which bridge do you want to leave you know to, to walk across here eventually and the, the the real amazing thing is and again i don't know maybe you know billy walters the guy that he uh, uh that went to prison and kind of was in the same deal as phil as far as uh one stock uh you know he's a scary dude i don't I don't know anything. I'm not giving any insight. No, I understand. I'm just, I'm just sitting here guessing. But here's here's the good thing, the great thing that Phil's done. He's kind of sacrificed himself. Uh, this Saudi league is dead. Forget it. They might play tournaments, but it's going to be middling Asian tour players and some mini tour players. If Phil Mickelson, the second most popular golfer on this planet, can't survive the bad public relations of, of affixing themselves with the Saudi league. Who's going to do it? Yeah. Well, Who was, now thinks they're that bullet. I, I mean, I, and, and I know you don't, maybe you don't have a name, you can, but, but there are, there, there was rumors that other players yeah. were attached to this. Poulter, I heard his name, DeChambeau. Mm-hmm. Westwood. Westwood. Westwood, yeah. Adam um, Scott. And, and in some cases, you think, hey, listen, man, I, you know, if someone offered us, maybe not you, but if certainly the average no, person. No, definitely me. Well, but if someone offered you a, a big chunk of cash at the end of your career. Um, but there, I don't know if you remember, Tim and I would know there back in the mid 70s when the WHA 
came in and, and took players away from the NHL. Most notably, uh-huh. the most popular player in hockey at the time was Bobby Hull. And Bobby Hull went to the WHA, this is going to sound comical now, for a five-year yeah. contract for a million dollars. It was outrageous money. But, mm-hmm. but what it did eventually is it showed that there were lots of talented players. They expanded the NHL, and it became stronger and whatever. My question is, is there something in the SGL or whatever that's going to spill into the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, or is it going to be a pariah and they're just going to keep it, keep it separately? It won't get absorbed in. No, it can't get absorbed in. It's just, again, it's Saudi money. It's just too much bad public relations for uh, PGA Tour or DP World Tour, which is uh, don't need the money. Uh, now, if you look back maybe two years ago, uh, the tour actually went into, and I forget the exact uh, parameters of what they did, but they went into business with the, with the uh, DP World Tour. They actually uh, kind yeah, of they bought, now an alliance, they had, yeah. Yes, and they bought, uh, or they bought, they started how many, three or four tournaments now that are co-sanctioned, both tours, um, you know, the Scottish Open and a couple others. So that was the tour putting their foot, I think, uh, in the door of the World Tour. So they were impenetrable to other people coming in. They can't make this decision without the PGA tour being involved in it. So that, that was a very smart move actually. And it was something that I didn't really see at the time. I didn't, I thought maybe the the European tour or DP world tour was struggling at the time, but no, it's just the tour doing what they're supposed to. So I just, I I can't imagine. So what you said, Poulter, Scott uh, Westwood, these are guys at the end of their career. And if they go for a quick money grab at the end, uh, yeah, I can't fault them, you know, and, and, you know, PR for being with the Saudis, it, it'll be what it is. But as most things, it'll probably die down. They'll collect a few bucks and ride off in the sunset. But again, I think with what happened to Phil, it's just damaged them all beyond beyond repair. Well, you make a good yeah. point. If his popularity couldn't withstand an association, then whose can? Uh, we're going right. to wrap up, uh, Tim. One last, one, let's how about this? One final question right. each for the the wonder that is Robert Dameron. What's your final yes. question? Well, speaking of of popular players, Rory McIlroy. Um, you know, if he wins Augusta, he's got the four majors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just as you know, amateur uh, prognosticator, etc. Uh, I think it's the monkey on his back that he's made like too big a deal. Um, what have you seen in Rory in the last little while in terms of his ability to deal with that stuff? It seems to be the mental chatter stuff that seems to, be, you know, get in his helmet. That that he just rides up and down more than anyone else. I mean, that's why he's such a wonderful interview. He'll just tell yes. you what's going on. But what do you see for Rory and what he needs to do to ever get the green jacket? It, it seems well. He he plays good enough to where if his game just clicks, he can win any tournament by five or six. It's not a big deal. But it does seem that is as if as he gets older, he's putting extra pressure on himself. He's getting a little hotter on the golf course. And I'm going back to. Um, one of the tournaments in the Middle East, oh, I don't know, four months ago when he kind of blew it coming down the leap. And then there's a picture of him in, in the scoring tent and his shirt's ripped. Yeah, he ripped his shirt. Because yeah, he, right. like, like Hulk Hogan, he yeah. grabbed it and, and uh, how, tore a, into it. What like, a great move that is, though. I'm like, oh. I, and of all the shit I've done, I'm like, I never did. I oh, punched, for sure. Dude, I've punched the inside of my car after a round, but I never tore off my shirt. Well, listen, time's still there for you. Oh, you know, I know. You're not in the grave, oh, dude, you're not the grave yet. You'll still do it. <laughs> no, I know. Believe but, me, but you, time. you pay for your shirts. Too. Sure. That's the, yeah, you got reason not to doesn't. do it. <laughs> but, so, who thought we would have seen that out of Rory McIlroy? Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of anger. It, it, it's, um, 
it is as if there's a little extra pressure coming down uh, the line. And maybe he's sick of people saying, you're so good, you should be winning every week. Yeah. Because, frankly, that's the truth. He's so damn good. If you watch him on the range with hit irons, long irons, driver, it's like a different world. No, no, it's gross. I, I got to watch, it speaking is. of this, I, I, was in the, I was at the Scottish Open in uh, 2017, and I followed uh, Henson, uh, Henson, yeah, Jim Henson of the Muppets. Stenson. Yeah, Jim Henson, yeah. Now, Jim Henson of the Muppets was there. It was great. Uh, <laughs> there was Stenson, Fowler, and uh, McElroy, and I was uh, got yeah. inside the ropes. I was hanging out with your buddy Jeff Shackelford, mm-hmm. and he and I were walking along, and just the, the, the difference, and those two, I'm talking about Stenson, who hits it like, yeah, off the world like yeah. so good but just watching how McElroy played those nine holes other than his wedge play which was sort of okay which can be gross but it was it, it was it was gross but i'll tell you the quality of his ball striking was something even in that group um i was actually surprised how good ricky hit it up close before our yeah. my last question to you is i've got a bunch of names in front of me thomas morikawa yeah. hovland sam burns these are my picks for the masters pool woodland okay. Uh, my long shots, Robert McIntyre. My question to you is, this tournament's on, because let's say it's not Tiger. Who's the first name okay. that comes to your mind as a possible winner? Justin Thomas. Yeah. He's been trending, playing nice, golf, not winning. And here's a guy that, this is probably my favorite golf quote of all time. A uh, year and a half, two years ago, he said, I don't just want to beat you. I want to beat you so bad that you quit. <laughs> you go off your clubs and just give them away. Like I'm never playing again. This is embarrassing. And that's that is uh, that is just a competitive, you know, sob. He is he, he's just mean and ornery out there. And I think that there's a the reason why Tiger likes him so much is he sees a lot of himself. Yeah. You know, that, that desire to win is so strong that uh, you know he can talk to JT about things that other people like Ricky, um, you know, who's the sweetest guy alive, doesn't quite get as far as that being mean on the golf course. So, uh, no, I think Justin Thomas, I always think, think Brooks Kepka. he's going to show up even though he's been very inconsistent. That's just what he does. We said it before. And until further notice, he's always one of the top favorites Okay, on, on the majors. Uh, you know, so, uh, those are the two guys. Morikawa just hasn't been playing great, but he is, uh, Again, I said earlier, this is the ultimate second shot golf course, the ultimate approach shot golf course. And nobody is better than Morikawa right now. So, can't write him out. And then you mentioned the, the to me, the enigma of this whole thing is Victor Hovland, who's been playing steady. He's been winning a lot. Uh, you go back six months and he has, I don't remember a player with such one glaring weakness. Statistically, now I don't have the stats in front of me, but two weeks ago, unless it's changed a little, he can't change that much. He was dead last in, in strokes gain around the green. Yeah. Dead last on tour, like 214, something like mm-hmm. that. There's not even 214 guys that play. That's including <laughs> like the club pro that gets in and plays a tournament here. That's like the first and, alternate, uh, the guy that qualified yeah. Monday. Cart girl. Yeah, exactly. Cart girl. Cart right. girl, his yeah. caddy. How, so is it, how is that possible? That's hard to believe. Yeah, and it's hard to believe because he is uh, as Every time uh, Azinger says this, I want to punch myself in the face. He's a ball striking Jimmy, is what he is. Yes. I don't even know what the Jesse. fuck that means, Jesse. Uh, Jesse. But he is. Yeah. He is a machine, and yet, for some reason, the uh, ability to pitch and, and chip consistently eludes him. You know what's funny, though? And I've, I've followed him on course a couple times. To my eye, um, it's not that bad. A couple bad chips, but everybody's you know capable of hitting bad chips. 
Uh, but then you look at the stats and that's the way it is. And, and I have a buddy that used to play a uh, major league baseball and uh, he had the, he was known for like the worst arm in the outfit. Like he didn't have a very good arm at all. And, you know, to be an outfield, you got to be able to wing it. And I was making for playing golf. I'm kind of making fun of him as far as uh, his arm. He goes, you know what, for a MLB outfielder, my arm's pretty bad, but compared to you, I've got a can. <laughs> and that's, and I think that's kind of the Victor Hovland thing. Like compared to the rest of the tour players, okay, he struggles, but compared to your, uh, you know, scratch handicap at, at the golf course, yeah. he runs circles around. Yeah, I guess. Hey, Robert, uh, that's a I know point. we're wrapping Thanks, up, but I, I, I can't help it. You, you sure. mentioned his name. And I'm not sure if this is dangerous territory you want to wade into, but... Oh, yes. I'm too stupid to not wade into this. Yeah, just come right in. Right. Okay. Paul Azinger. Well, I yeah. find, as an analyst, I find him, like, so annoying. Really? Um, you just find him so obvious. And he just seems to be such a one-note Joe in terms of, oh, the pressure and all this. I, I just... I just don't think he's anywhere near Faldo or certainly nowhere near Johnny Miller. I don't know. What's your thoughts no. on Zinger as an analyst? Well, Faldo amazes all of us because the guy wouldn't say a word when he's playing. And now he's like, you know, cutting up jokes and, and making fun <laughs> no, of himself. No, I know. So that's, yeah. it's unbelievable. He was the most miserable guy to play golf with. But a Zinger, I, I think if you look at it, well, there's two things. One, if everybody likes you, so Tim doesn't like him, I like a Zinger. Yeah, so do uh, I. You're not, you're not doing a good job. Yep. If everyone likes you, you're doing a, you're just vanilla, not offending anyone. You've got to be able to throw your own thoughts out there. And and, and the other thing that I I will tell you for sure is it's a snapshot into his mind. So I, I'm, you know, this is a shot that scares him, or he's choking, or or you know, this is a huge mistake. He's not inside the mind of the guy playing. He's inside his own brain and the way he thought. And his shortcomings, uh, especially on the course, because that's the way I do it. I see a shot and I'm like, you know, what scares me is this, this, this. Now, this guy probably doesn't think twice about it, but I would. Yeah. That's the only kind of way. And, and all you're you doing as do, an analyst, about it. and I like the way you do it on course, because you're all, you know, you're, again, you're, you have credibility and you have a great manner about you, but you are just describing a shot as it would impact you. I'm halfway yes. on, like, I, I find a lot of Azinger as a broadcaster. I'm not a big Azinger fan, but as a golf yeah. As a guy who's got, I keep reminding myself, I had this conversation the other day with somebody. I'm always reminding myself with Azinger that he was a Ryder Cup captain, superstar yep. in that role, won a, won a major. You know, he's a gritty guy. He, he used to aggravate the Europeans. So I, 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 I forgive him the fact that he's a bit clunky. And maybe that's what you're reacting to, Tim. He's a bit of a clunky yeah. broadcaster. The balls, his mannerisms and some of his phrasing. But I do respect where his acumen comes from. That's that's it. He, he's got, no matter even if he can convey it uh, right. in a good way on air, he has a doctorate in golf, in PGA yes. Tour golf. He, yeah, uh, yeah. And so um, there is something to learn. And, and again, you're not in John Rom's head. You're not in Tiger Woods' head. So you can't really guess you can guess to what they're thinking but you can't really what you can do is say i've been there a million times and this scared the hell out of me. yeah or i felt great doing this um that's kind of what he's hired for i think and, and but i like that you don't like him because again if everybody likes you you're not good at your job yeah, you, i want somebody a little controversial listen man nobody has a bad word to say about mike Tarico. Anyway, no. Nope. So, uh, but and, well, he's the best. He is the best. Uh, listen, dude. The, yeah. 
he's not caught. He has a lane to walk. He has a lane to walk, yeah. and he walks it great. Yeah, he, see, there's a great example of somebody that everyone likes uh, and respects, but he's not there to be controversial. Robert Dameron, uh, this will not be the last time. Between now and Labor no, Day, I promise you we're going to ask you again. It's always illuminating having you on the show. Robert Dameron, everybody, uh, one of the uh, one of the greats. One of the literally is in the Byron Nelson Invitational Hall of Frickin' Fame. Damn right. Damn Ron. Thanks, brother. Uh-huh. Thanks. There you go. Thanks, Robert. That's Robert Dameron. Just let yourself up. Put, you know what? I think it's almost time for you to change your shorts because, I mean, you know, you got to get ready yeah. to go play. I got to go. Yeah. I got to go do it. They won't let me play in this. <laughs> oh, my God. Right, what a super gentlemen. beauty this guy is. Thanks, Robert. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, I know usually we spend a lot of time talking about the mental side of the game, but, you know, yeah, I thought it was interesting hearing his take on just how strong mentally uh, Tiger Woods is. And I think sometimes, you know, we, I know we talk about Tiger on this show, but I mean, there is a huge part of what Tiger does and did during his best years. And, and decade talks a lot about it. Scott Fawcett's a huge Tiger fan for good reason, which is, you know, a lot of what decade is and Fawcett would tell you, a lot of it was his studying how Tiger played in his best years. Tiger did a couple things. You know, he calls it the Tiger Five, but one part of the Tiger Five was not making penalty shots, no three putts, no two chips, obviously. In Tiger's case, one of the ones he was concentrating on was not making a bogey with nine iron or less in his hand, which you think, what? But remember, like, that's one of the things that, you know, I've been talking about with some of the people I've been sherping through decade that, <laughs> you know, if you have 150 yards from the green and you're an eight handicap, and if you hit the green, job well done. If you're Tiger Woods, you know, he didn't, he didn't hit every shot from 150 in the fairway to the green. He didn't, he didn't hit every, t- you know, it's just, it's wild when you learn those things, but what he was good at the best at probably ever along with Nicholas is getting upset, but then not having that affect your next decision. And that really is the secret sauce for me. And I think, you know, you, you get it. I think our listeners get it that making good decisions is what leads to lower scores. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But so I think that in talking about, you know, Tiger's mental game and his character, whatnot. Um, I was actually reflecting on this the last couple of days because I've been reading a book um, by a guy named Mark Epstein, and he's a psychotherapist uh, who a large part of his practice is, is from a foundation in Buddhism and what, you know, and mindfulness. And what I've been really um, diving into the last couple of days is that in mindfulness, it's being able to just exactly what you're talking about. Something that something can go on, but how much am I attaching myself to that? Whether it be my identity, whether I met a certain standard, you know, whatever. And I just think that you know, as when Tiger growing up through uh, his mother, um, who is a, a Buddhist, that they just worked constantly on Tiger's being able to be disciplined in terms of when his things would happen, how would he respond to it? And I just think that Tiger has an otherworldly skill mm-hmm. at being able to to respond to things going on. And so 
I can't think of how anyone is able to be in such these these moments. Like think of 2019. Like like the story was so huge about Tiger coming back and all this stuff. I mean, that would overwhelm most people. Mm-hmm. Not Tiger. Yeah. Because he just had this clarity of mind of what what is worthy of his focus and what is not. And I just think that he makes just so many better decisions because he's just so damn disciplined. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I think back to your conversation just quickly about Rory and the pressure he feels to complete the Grand Slam, only the sixth player in golf history. There's a lot of baggage that goes with that, especially if you've been as good as he is for as long as he has been. But then you think about there was a moment in the early 2000s where Tiger had won the Open the U.S. Open and the PGA in succession in one summer and then uh, in this in another calendar year, but less than a year later, he's playing in the Masters knowing that if he wins that tournament, he completes what is now known as the Tiger Slam, but he gets to have all four tournaments in one 12-month period. And he was able to prevail under that incredible pressure to your point, because he's able to compartmentalize what is important for him to put his attention on. So for us amateurs, you know, and again, I, I've been being a decade Sherpa with a, f- a few of our Swing Thoughts listeners. And, and really all I do is just kind of, I go through the app and then we talk about what are the things in the app that I think are the most important for an amateur golfer, whether you're a two or a 12. I just pick out the things that I have notice that were important to my game but also what i think the amateur the average amateur can relate to and it really comes down to are you able to no matter what the moment whether it's your club championship or you're you know putting out for a, a chance to beat your buddy can you make a good decision moment by moment and i know that for the longest time i couldn't i would be going along okay and then inevitably Something would break down and I would get so frustrated that I couldn't make a good decision for a while. And by the time I could, I'd already been such a dick and and whatever, gave up and three holes have gone by and I've made another double and a couple of three putt bogeys and whatever. But I think your ability, a person's ability to to make a decision no matter what the circumstances is part of what decade I think, I don't know if it teaches it, but you certainly learn from the experiences that Fawcett talks about, that those are huge. The D in decade for decision-making is one of the most important. Yeah, and, and obviously in the next letter is E for expectations, and it's yes. just so, they're so integrated. And I, I honestly think uh, a lot of people will criticize decade for being far too much into numbers and, and taking the artistry out of the game and all that thing. But I think actually the biggest thing is I've taken a, a, a deep dive into it the last few months is more around what exactly what you're talking about is expectations, good decision making, being disciplined, more the psychology of the game than 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 anything else. And yeah. I, I think it's huge. And I think that where uh, again, back to Tiger again, um, he just doesn't get caught in the story. He does his his. His self-identity doesn't go up and down depending on how many over he is. And that is just so amazing to be able to have that clarity, that skill to just not go down these side roads. I mean, that's what happens in our in our minds. I mean, when people people who 
who meditate, I mean, we're, we're focused on breath, let's say, if we're doing that kind of thing, and our mind goes somewhere, and then we go like, oh, <laughs> I'm thinking mm-hmm. about the email I need to send or whatever. What's my intention? Come back to, come back to breath. And I, I just think, and that's the skill of awareness. You that's know, how you make good decisions is to go like, oh, I'm caught up in this drama of, oh, if I don't get this up and down, I lose. Oh, shit. And, and Tiger and really good players are able to just say, nope, that's not what's important here. Come yeah, back to the, like come Tiger, back to reality. It's not like Tiger doesn't think, oh, this means that or I'm doing this. It's just that in the moment that he goes to hit a shot, that's why one of the things I, I talk about. You know, I've, I've mentioned it on the show maybe, but certainly in, a, in my consultation with players is uh, two things that, yeah, if you, I can show you how decade works. I know how modifiers work and I can give you some real life, um, you know, how to put them into play. But the biggest thing, and I, I wrote this down the other day, it's really the psychology of expectation management. I mentioned it on the show recently, but if if you understood nothing from what we've talked about in as it relates to decade and as it, that relates to scoring, it's your understanding of what is and what isn't a good shot for your for your handicap level. Even the understanding of what a scratch or what a five or what a ten handicap means. You know, I had this conversation the other day with somebody who's a two handicap. And I said the problem with being you know, low handicap players is you think you, you misunderstand. You're not supposed to shoot 74 every time you play, you know, two handicap. I said, remember that handicaps are your potential. I didn't really understand this. So if you're a two handicap, yeah, you're going to shoot 74 once out of every three or four or five rounds. But a lot of the time you're going to be shooting 77 and being pissed off about it. If you don't understand that 77 is kind of like where a, 76 is kind of where a two handicap averages out, you know, and just knowing that can lower your thermostat, which can lead to better decisions, which lead to better scores. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I really think that that's one of the wonderful things about uh, Scott and what he's done with strokes gained is it gives us all perspective. Yeah. you know, it, it, it still blow. A lot of people do not know that PGA Tour players make about fifty percent of their eight foot putts. Yeah, and they all think that you know, if you ask them, most people, think it's maybe closer to seventy five to eighty, and and so it it allows for some more freedom for for people, and I think that's what's really interesting. But that speaks to that. It's interesting is that most of us, you know, if you ask most people, who's our own worst critic? Them. Oh yeah, They're, you know. Every, they just like just pile on and you know, so it says yeah but this yeah but I know but I do this this and this Ugh. I guess that's that not I guess I actually know that's part of the survi- brain survival mechanism is always be wary of our shortcomings so we don't get eaten by so we're not exposed monster. no you, you you make a great point like and I, I think you know I've had people actually say these words to me right to my face hole you're way too hard on yourself and. I didn't know there was another way to be. I mean, I still don't, but I'm less hard on myself now because I am, you know, pretty committed to the idea that I understand what what a good shot is, and I don't. I'm not as hard on myself anymore because I know that from 150 yards, you know, even at the level I'm at, I'm not going to hit the green all the time. I'm just looking at some stats here that. You know, right? I looked at my short game stats. So I, I was my save percentage 
last year was 56.3. That put me at a, because I've got the comparative, that put me at sort of a someone that shoots 69 to 71 level. But the level above that, the 68 shooter, the guy that's a pro player, is only hitting a few more. They're, they're only getting up and down in the 60 percentile. So the rest of us who suck, what do you think you're supposed to get up and down? Because I know I used to think I'm supposed to get up and down every time. Well, I miss six or seven greens around. If I get up and down two or three times, pretty good. If I get up and down four out of seven times, you're tour level. So I think in the, you know, one of the things I'm helping my players, people I would talk to, I just say, listen, let's be realistic so that you get to feel good about yourself. That's really all it is. Shoot 80 and know that that was good. As long as you, as long as you were the best you could be, you know, on every shot, then good. Nice score. You know? No, I know. Like you're, you're a solid six handicap. What are you supposed to shoot every day? You're going to shoot some 83s. You're yeah, also going to shoot 74 or 5 the odd time. But it's it so speaks to kind of what we do in our society generally is we hold ourselves to these these standards and you know we 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 we're searching for mastery. We all everyone wants to move forward. It's like we have this compass that wants to take us forward to the and and do well and discover new things about ourselves, but we've also got this side of us, this shadow side that um, really just dumps all over us, and it, and we just have these sometimes these ways of being that we just kind of get sucked into through circumstances, through bad luck, different things. But the, the the problem is 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 that so many of us will make a will come back to that piece. If I shoot, say, you know, if I shoot, say, for me, you know, if I shoot a seventy-seven, good golfer, good person. But if I shoot eighty nine, bad golfer and bad person, yeah, then that's that that and and it's unfortunately that's what we do. But people who have just more equanimity in their lives, just generally more peaceful, and certainly someone like Tiger, they're able to see sort of how those mind traps get us caught, but also they can observe. And go, oh yeah, all right. Well, that's not that's just an effing story. I'll yeah. let that one go. And, and it's having that ability. And I think that's a skill. I, I Absolutely. It is. I, I just rewatched. I know it's going to sound like a nerd, but I did it anyway. I rewatched the last round of his 2019 Masters win. Probably the last couple hours. There's a real-time broadcast on YouTube. You can literally watch it from beginning to end. But one of the things you notice, especially on the back nine, which is what I watched. And obviously, it's Finau, Molinari, Brooks Kepka, and I'm missing somebody. But four of the last... Poulter. Poulter, thanks. They all they all missed the green on 12. They all made double. And then Tiger, you could just see, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I know what this feels like. But where he hit his ball on those greens, and this is another thing that Fawcett notices and teaches, which is he hit it to 20 and 30 and 40 feet because that's the proper place to miss and hit those shots, comma, He's also the, one of the best lag putters of all time. And that's why when I tell people, if you can take nothing else from decade other than expectation management and the putting drills, because not three putting is a huge thing for amateurs, but it's even a huge thing at the pro level, especially at a place like Augusta. He just didn't put himself in places where three putting was likely. 
even though he might be 40 feet away, it was in a spot that he knew he could nuzzle it up to the hole and then move on. And uh, I think that's probably from a, what you said about aggressive swings to conservative targets. But he put himself in position knowing that he was a great lag putter to just two putt those tougher holes and move on to the ones that he could make birdies on. I yeah. think that's a good lesson for all of us. Yeah, exactly. And um, it really, you just reminded me of something that I, I found so fascinating. And so I'll preface it by saying that one of the things that, that people who do exhibit this degree of just equanimity or this ability to perform at a high level, they don't have a lot of interior dialogue. They're not doing this. They don't have this tight spotlight of going, how am I doing anything of that? They're, they're out in the world. They're more externally focused. Mm -hmm. And, um, a guy would love to get on our podcast. His name is Graham McDowell and it's not the, the PJ tour player. He's a, um, I'm not even sure he's a, he's a professional golfer, but he, like our good friend, um, Oh goodness, the uh, the Irishman. <laughs> oh, Doctor uh, Ed. Doctor Ed. Yeah, I haven't yes. talked to Doctor Ed. He's Dr. like Ed a Doctor Ed. Yeah, nice. Academic. And anyways, um, he co-wrote a book called "The Constraints Approach to Coaching Golf." Yes, a very uh, breezy tome. Um, anyways, the point that he got to is that he's got the um, a transcript of Tiger talking about what he was observing as he stood on that twelfth tee. And he watched Molinari hit, and he was watching what's going on eleven, and it was—it's just fascinating that Tiger was not, as I say, consumed in this interior dialogue about where I stand, what I need to do. He was watching like the detail that Tiger went into about what the flag was doing at eleven, the leaves behind twelve, the ripples on the water. It was phenomenal, and it was just a really great example to me. That's what the great performers do mm -hmm. they're not having this internal conversation they're out there they're seeing what's going on and that's what golf is it's about adapting to the environment and, and so just in reading that book that that um exposed me to why tigers at a different level well you know it's hard to understand at the, at the highest level that a 40 foot being 40 feet from the flag that that would be a good shot. But one of the things that Chambly did this week on Live From at the uh, Masters on the Golf Channel is he showed where Tiger hit it on 12 for all five of his Masters wins. And almost all of them are there. Nick and, and Dameron mentioned it. You know, that's it, Nick goes yeah. back to the 70s. Nicholas said, you just want to hit it between those bunkers as a matter where the flag is. But if you're a high level player, one of the guys who hit it in the water, I can't remember who it was, just said, I don't know. My No, it was Spieth. Spieth talked about when he did it in 2016. He said, I got over the ball. I know where I was supposed to hit it, but I just felt so good over the ball that part of me thought I'll just shade it over there to the flag. That's a hard thing to do for a, an elite player on planet Earth. But Tiger knew that the good shot was over there, 40 feet from the flag, not even blocking it to the he, he, he those five tournaments he won uh, on the 12th hole. He hit it in the same place. So how do those other four guys not know it? Well, of course, they know it. But in that moment, they weren't making the best decision or some part of their DNA wouldn't let them hit it 35 feet left of that flag. Oh, exactly. Boy, uh, wouldn't you love to see 
a uh, a packet that Scott Fawcett would make up for his players at Augusta. I have seen it. Uh-huh. Oh, you have? Hey? Have That'd you not seen cool. it? No, I haven't. I, I thought haven't you were kidding. It. No, no, I haven't seen it. I'll send it to you. Oh, cool. Um, All right. Well, didn't you have to pay for that? No. Um, <laughs> but you're you're a decade member now, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, if you're a decade member, then you should have gotten this. But I thought I thought you were saying that because he did send it out because I saw the. Um, oh, okay. It's no, really it's that. really something else. I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to send it to you so you can look at it later. So what Tim's talking about is Fawcett for Mitchell and guys that he works with on tour. Zalatoris came and in second. Rory, I think, and now, Rory, right? now he's working with yeah. Rory. Yeah. Um, he sends out a packet. I, I I was lucky enough. He did this for me for the senior uh, Ontario seniors. We did the we did the course packet for Loyalist. But basically what it is, is at the professional level, he, he goes over every hole in the driving, um, the driving aiming where he wants you to aim. But also what the stroke average was on, the, on, the, on each hole from last year. And I'll tell you, this is, the, the, this is the PGA Tour's best. And every hole but the par fives, their stroke average was over par. Over par. Every one of the par threes and par fours, stroke average was over par. Like, think about it. We all suck. And we think we're supposed to... One of the things I said to a player this week that really resonated with them was, and the guy's a 4.5, and we were talking about a hole at his course that he finds particularly difficult. I said, what, what is that, the number one, two handicap hole? He goes, yeah, two or three. I said, well, do you understand? If you're a 4.5 handicap, you're supposed to bogey the four and a half toughest holes in the course. He's like, what? And I go, yeah, you're not supposed to make par there. That's why you're a four and a half. And I, and he said, oh my God, I never thought of it. I said, when you make bogey there, rather than thinking of it as a loss, go, that's what I'm supposed to make here. That's why it's the third handicap hole. So that again goes to the psychology of expectation management, even at the highest level. He sends out that package to his players and to remind them, oh, by the way, golf is hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you get to seven, if you've made a four, you've actually beat the field average on the whole. And then you think of it, you compare it to like golf is hard. Well, Augusta is excruciating. Because mm-hmm. you think of that shot pattern that, that, that uh, Scott Fawcett talks about, that shotgun blast, yeah. the ellipse. That that's there, and so you think of like how precise you have to be at Augusta, and so much is like you still have to go by your own shot pattern. Yes, these are the best players in the world, but they don't hit it to their target um, most of the time. Some of the time, so when they get off, they they really get off. And I, I would have to say, part of the discipline at Augusta is to know that you're going to have sometimes when you catch the slope on 14 and it goes off the green or nine and you don't get it quite up that stair step and it comes back off. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to roll with that. Um, Let's finish up and let everyone know that Tim and Nate, Nate Robinson and quiet mind golf is available. You did that with emphasis. That's because I was struggling. Quiet. I was going to say quiet. I quiet mind golf. The uh, program that it is, uh, starts, I think, in a couple of days is the kickoff. Yeah, starts Friday. Yep. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, uh, go to my website, O'ConnorGolf.ca. You can see more details of it. It's a six month program, really intensive. It'll keep you on track uh, better than you ever have, quite frankly. <laughs> 
That's your cell. It'll, you'll be good. <laughs> you'll be. You make good for golf. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, let me endorse it. I'll tell you right now. If you're going to get some uh, time with O'Connor in person, forget golf. He's just going to make you feel better. I mean it. It's like uh, it's like a one of those crystals. You just feel better after being in his presence. I do. <laughs> uh, and Nate's a bright young uh, golf professional. Uh, between the two of them, you're going to learn a lot. And it's uh, it's six months. And, and I think for somebody that's looking to make real improvements and like any other, like a, like a good program, there'll be accountability. Because this isn't like a quick fix. You're not going to be like, I like what, aren't you guys going to show me how to hit this shot? You're going to learn to play. And at the end of this, you're going to be a better player and a better person. How's that? Oh, thanks. Quiet thanks mind. I appreciate that. Quiet mind golf, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, I would like so, to. I need to ask you, sir. Tell us about your um, the thing you're doing with Charlie Fitzsimmons. I'm about to announce golf spiritual <laughs> leader and Dr. Charles Fitzsimmons. Pathways to par. We'll, we're giving our very first talk. I'm all excited. Uh, the weekend of the 20th, 21st, 22nd at the Early Bird in St. Thomas on the Friday. I think that's the 20th. Uh, I'll have the right date next time. But Charles and I are going to be speaking. Just a, those little sort of informal. Yeah, it'll be the uh, the 20th uh, at St. Thomas. Um, you can get a hold of St. Thomas for details. It's nominal charge. And Charles and I are going to kind of go through a lot of stuff that he does with Eclipse, shot by shot. What's a great shot? You'll find out from Charles. And uh, I'll just tell some stories about, you know, being golf spiritual leader and and maybe talk a little bit about maybe I'll mention decade. I don't know, Tim. Maybe might talk about it just a little I, bit. I got a bet that it might come up. Um, are you guys going to stream that Facebook Live or anything, or do you have to be there? Uh, we'd appreciate it if you if you're in the area and we see, maybe you're playing in the Early Bird or you're going to be in the St. Thomas area. Get a hold of St. Thomas. No, we're not going to stream it, but I guess we could. Okay, uh, we yeah. can. Rec- well, we're going to record it. That's we've decided okay. we're going to somehow oh, record it. It's going to be an hour long, uh, filled with fun and frivolity. Um, I can tell you that a lot of the things we talk about on this show, obviously, will be in that talk. Uh, um, but I want to tell you just a quick anecdote before we sh- shut down. I was on stage last Friday at uh, Yuck Yucks, and I was pretty nervous. I hadn't been on stage in a couple months, and I wasn't emceeing. I had to do my, I had to do a set, and you're, you know, you're supposed to, I was supposed to do 12 minutes. I ended up doing 16, which is not good. Other <laughs> comics do not like that. Mark Breslin give you the No, nah, Mark was eye? fine. I got a little bit of a dirty look from somebody, but that's okay. I apologize. Before I went on, it was packed, and so I was very, I'd been working on some stuff, and I'd been rehearsing that week, just like a golfer. I'd been practicing and practicing, and just as the guy ahead of me was wrapping up, I was just very, like, not shaking or anything, but just nervous, like first tee jitters. Mm. And I just turned, like, I'm, there's a little alcove that's off the side of the stage where you sort of walk out and then you come through the audience. And I just sort of turned so no one could see me. And I just closed my eyes for about 60 seconds. And, and I, because I was, I could feel, I was, I got it. Because sometimes, you know, when you're nervous, it can kind of get away from you. And I thought, before this mm-hmm. gets away from me, I'd better just ground my body a little bit. And I'm telling you, Timmy, it, it's, it's not a fluke that those things make a big difference. I felt still nervous but i felt like i had taken some air in some oxygenation of your blood cells etc all the physiological things but i felt 
calmer. And when I walked up, I just felt so good in that moment because I realized, oh, you know, I'm, I've made the adjustment to being in this room, to being as present as I can, given the fact that I'm about to talk to strangers for 15 minutes. And it just, I thought to myself, well, you know, it's a good thing to tell the swing thought nerds because it really does. There's a reason we talk about that meditation and breathing, and it really can affect your body in a positive way. 100%. Absolutely. Um, again, back to what we talk about, it's, um, you may talk about some people like uh, cut from a different cloth, the Joe Montana's, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, but they've cultivated a ton of skill as Tiger did, in terms of that skill of awareness. And just the idea that you would become aware of it. Okay, here's what's going on. Oh, my body's doing this. What do I need to do for myself right now? I'm going to close my eyes. And whatever you did, focus on your breathing or whatever. That just, you know, it, it just it quiets the mind, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And just allows everything to just come back, just just down a little bit. And that's what the best performers do. They, they're able to... to you know, you, you're still amped up, but you're able to take advantage of that adrenaline and channel it in a really good way, as opposed to being caught up in oh, what if, uh, what if I bomb and all that stuff. So, yeah, to you, man. I well, didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know that you're doing more stand up. So that's wonderful. Uh, you know what? I, I, I I'm this, it's probably the last time. I got another. I have a semi gig I'm doing. I think in June and one in July. But as far as going to clubs, it'll probably be the last time. I mean, I've used this analogy before. You know, you're, I used to get so concerned about the material, kind of like your golf swing, that mm-hmm. I, would, I would be, my attention would be on trying to remember it and doing it perfectly. And generally what that does is it takes you out of the present moment, which is, you know, you can't react to things going on where when I went up on stage, and I have done this the last couple of years, where I go, okay, I've rehearsed all I can, practice my golf swing, and now I have to play. And when I walked up, on Friday, and it was a big night. Again, standing room, only, huge audience. It took me a couple seconds, but I, I, I was there. I wasn't worried about was I going to remember my material anymore. I just started to play, and instantly the audience reacts to that. There's just something about they can tell. I feel that they can tell if you're connecting even before you speak because. You know, when you're nervous or you're too internally focused, you, you have a bit of a stink on. You definitely, that <laughs> vibe translates. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, I was looking, I was definitely looking in people's eyes and they could tell that. I looked at people right in the eye. Like, I, I wasn't afraid to be where I was. Um, and then, I, like I said, I went really, really well. That's cool. Well, I'm glad for that. And also... Um I was reflecting to you that uh, someone in my Toastmasters group said that she started this thing that we call table topics and Toastmasters where you improvise. And she goes, hi, I'm Kathy and I'm an STD. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> and, she, and she said that, you know, so she's a singer. Oh, nice. And she was just saying how she loves the show because what we talk about, yes, the focus is on golf, but you can take just as you demonstrated. The things that we talk about, and you can apply it to to performing on stage, to before you're going to give um, you know a presentation at your company, or you got to lead. Uh, they call it PTA meetings still. I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. 
Maybe. On, I'll tell you what, what they do on reruns of TV shows. Uh, thanks to Robert Dameron. Thank you to TaylorMade Golf, Carbonwood Technology. We're not messing around. These golf clubs really are something special. As you're going to see this weekend, a lot of guys playing the Masters are using them, especially that stealth driver. Thanks to Jonathan Wong, Apparel Inc., Go get this stuff. Check it out. And uh, look as good as our boy O'Connor there in his, uh, what do you call it, a quarter zip? My, a quarter zip. Look at yes. you in your quarter zip. Nice work. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca is where you find out more about Tim and what he's up to. And go to HumbleandFred.com uh, for news about the Humble and Fred Show. We'll see you guys next week.